Well, welcome to Church Project. We're a gathering of people that love Jesus and we love the mission of Jesus in this world. And we want to live that out together. We're also a project. We're an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ originally intended church to be. And so we're continually trying to figure out what it means to be the church. So we're glad that you're here today. Uh, I want to start out with a couple things. Last week, you, you don't know what happened last week. Ben is not here and Joel is not here. But let me tell you something cool that happened last week. Didn't Ben do a good job speaking? He did a great job. What you don't know is the backstory. So let me tell you the backstory. At about 6.30 in the morning, I realized homie got nothing. I would be homie. Last Sunday morning, I announced at UNC Wrestling the night before. My voice was already like, ah. I woke up. I'm like, homie got nothing. And so I sent out a text to a couple people. There, there were a few people. And this is the text I sent out. Hey, do you got a word for this morning? And one guy sent back with a bunch of question marks, Ryan. He, he didn't have a word. Another guy had a word, and it was beautiful. It was great, but it was like this just really cool, like, God's, God's good kind of word. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good word. But Ben actually sent a text back, and it said, yes, I do. I've been pondering this verse and this passage of verses. It was Luke chapter 16, whatever it was. And he goes, I got a word on that. Okay, time out. No one knows what I'm going to preach next. I'm looking at this passage, and Ben texts back and goes, yeah, I have a word. And he said, on the passage that you're about to preach on, that you got nothing on, right? He didn't have a clue that that's what I was going to preach on. And so I literally said, you're up. And so three hours later, Ben got up here to speak. Didn't he do a great job? So when you tell him that, number one, isn't it cool to know that God is equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, that we're all coming to this buffet, bringing stuff together, right? Like we're all contributing to this body of Christ. And man, just be careful, because I might send you a text that says, you got a word, and you might be up here within a few minutes. Like you might be up here within a few minutes. So... Another cool thing that happened last week was downstairs, um, for those of you that have been following the Perman's story, continuing story of just hardship and hard stuff, which I want to pray over them, you know, um, Rachel is leading our kids downstairs, and last week she had major surgery, and it didn't go the way she fully expected it to go, and so last week, she wasn't here, and we, we were like, okay, we're going to cancel Project Kids, because all the moving parts, but you know what? We did it. We pieced it together with the people that showed up, and it was amazing. Like, they were playing cornhole down there. That sounds awesome. Like, it was so cool to see the body of Christ come together and go, all right, though we're not printing off cute little name tags this week, though we don't actually have a lesson that's going to be specifically, you know, aligned with up, upstairs and all professional or whatever it may be. Like, we were the body of Christ last week. Do you see that? Do you recognize that? From the little kids all the way through us, us wise, good-looking people, like God was moving and doing some good stuff. Church, I love doing this with you. Like, it's cool to know that we're all coming together and we're bringing our gifts, we're bringing our abilities, we're bringing everything to the table and saying, we're a body of Christ and we're moving together. So give yourselves a, a, a pat on the back right there, like literally. Oh, you're too, you're too many muscles. Oh, you can do that. There you go. I love doing this with you. I also want to tell you... Um, that next week, we're going to do this again. It's called the body of Christ. Jonathan Stark, 
wherever he's at, somewhere, who just led. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Good for him. Uh, who is blessing us this week, leading. Him and Ryan Doherty are getting in a car next Monday morning or Sunday morning, and they're driving up to Winter Park Church Project. And once a, once a month, there's live worship and speaking up there for our church we've started. I'm pastoring. I don't know what that looks like. But they're, they're doing a cool thing up there. But Ryan and Jonathan are going up there to speak next week and to lead worship. Isn't that cool? Like the body of Christ is spreading out. While simultaneously, Laura Imanshu is going to be preaching for us next week. Yeah. So she's going to be here. Let me tell you, I, I've been working on Laura for a couple years to speak. Literally, I'm not joking. I heard her speak once, and I'm like, girl, mm, you got it. You're so good. And so next week, she's going to be giving the message, and I'm telling you, invite everyone that you want and that you can to come here, because it's, it's going to be good. So is that all right to say, like, all of this, is, is this good to just point that we're a body, we're moving, we're a project, an ongoing pursuit, and it takes all of us? Like, I love what God is doing here. I'm going to jump into this parable today. Uh, we normally go verse by verse through a book, and right now we're just doing parables. And the parable we're hitting is the rich man and Lazarus. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. You can open your U version and follow along on those notes and search for uh, the events uh, if you want to do that. But let me read this parable. Just read through it once, and then I've got a really cool word for us, and I mean it. Like, it's a cool word today. So it's with expectancy that I read this passage. Luke 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm, chasm that has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they do not also come to this place of torment. Abraham, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. In verse 31, he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses or the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. 
God, I pray over this passage today. I pray that we're listening to your spirit. I pray that you can, we can unpack this together and you, and you will just warm our hearts and our minds and we will leave today knowing more who you are because of this passage and more who we are because of you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is a good passage. It is so much fun. Raise your hand if you've read this one before, if you've heard this one before. Okay, good. Have you, have, has it been confused? Has, have you been confused when you've read this passage before? It's, it's usually one of those parables that people go, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I, I understand it. I want to highlight a few things in here. And so in verse 16 and 21, uh, these are just fun little facts. When it says purple, that is kind of symbolic, especially of this time of royalty. So when we read of, of people that are dressed in purple, I mean, that's a rare dye that came from, a, from like snails. They would have to harvest together. And purple represents royalty. And so you know this man is living like the life of a baller. He's got a swagger going on. Like, this is it. Like, right? And Another thing that, that is kind of interesting, a fun fact here in verse 21, when it talks about that he longed to eat food from the, that fell from the table. Well, this wasn't just like, hey, they're throwing food and like they're sloppy eaters, okay? Is this what you thought? Like, oh, there's a crumb that fell. No, no, he's royalty, man. They're, they're distinguished. They, so what this means is they literally would take bread and they would wipe their hands and wash their hands with the bread and then throw it down on the ground. So the excess, like, yeah, that's a fun little fact. Go, neat, neat. Okay, fun fact. I thought it was funny. We get to verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels called him to Abraham's side. Abraham's side, when, when it's talked about here, is a Jewish idiom for the presence of God. So when it's talking about this man is placed by Abraham's side, it's words that are used to describe like in the presence of God. And so here we have this rich man who dies and this Lazarus guy is sitting by Abraham's side. That means by the side in the presence of God. I want to pause here because one of the things that Jesus intends with parables is the original message that he was teaching then is still our message today. Like the, it, the, the message doesn't change because, just because of time and space. Like Jesus is making a point in this parable and it's all driving to one place. And so when you're thinking of the, the rich man and you're looking up and seeing Lazarus in the presence of God, he notices that and he recognizes that. And which I think makes us pause today in the year 20, whatever it is right now, and ask us today and say this, like, what would be your idiom for the presence of God? What would be the words that you would describe as this is the presence of God? I mean, this, this, this rich man knew. He looked up and goes, he's by Abraham's side in the presence of God. What would be the words you would use to describe the presence of God? I can tell you what mine would be. The presence of God would look a whole lot like a, whole lot like a continual spike ball game. Like the presence of God. I love spike ball. It might even look like a, a continual Halloween party. Love my Halloween parties, man. It might look like frying turkeys like I'm going to do this Thursday, like the presence of God. Like what would it look like? And for you, I don't know what you would say, like this is my idiom to describe the presence of God. But for me, it's not necessarily the spike ball. It's not the frying turkey or the Halloween. What it's going to be more like is relationships. 
It's going to be more like when you think of heaven, what do you think of? And when you think of the presence of God, what do do you think of? I think of fellowship. I think of communion, like hanging out with you. I think of unrestricted time where we can just talk and we can laugh and we can play spike ball. Like, so I don't have the words to, to adequately describe what heaven's going to be like. But when I think of it, I think of it as spike ball, Halloween, and fried turkey. Like hanging out with you, my friends. Who wants to do that? Nobody? All right. <laughs> Curry, you and I are safe. I'm praying for everyone else in this place, man. I also think of my daughter Zoe just flew in last night. And though I was really tired, I got to sit on the couch and kind of talk with her a little bit. And just kind of hang out. The presence of God. Right? What do you think heaven will be like? When we're all young and we all got energy, we don't think a whole lot about dying and what heaven's going to be like. But guarantee you, my grandpa that just passed away last year at 93 was often talking about what is heaven going to look like. Hey, Christian, man, just sit and dream. God, what is it going to be beyond spike ball? Because we know that's fact, it's theology. Let's get down to verse 24 and 25. Thank you for the courtesy laugh there. <laughs> so in verse 24, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue because I am in agony. And then in verse 25, but Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And I think it's, it's interesting in verse 24 and 25, the, the father-son titles, right? And so all, those separated and not sitting by Abraham's side, he looks up and says, Father. He's not in the presence of God and he says, Father, which reminds me of Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, where it says, that at the name of Jesus, every name should bow in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth, and every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. There comes a day, whether beside Abraham, by, beside in the presence of God, or apart from it, every knee shall bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we see this in this parable. And then we see in verse 25 how Abraham looks and says, son, and refers to, to him, the one that's just not in the presence, right? And says, son. And there's some deep theological meaning here that I totally don't get. Don't get it. I don't know. Like father, son, that's a relationship thing, right? And so I can I, I can't think of a thing that I would ever not call Zoe or Audra my daughter. I don't, I don't have a clue. So I'll let you smart people figure that out because I can't understand that one. Like why is Abraham saying son, but yet son is not there? Hmm. Any thoughts? Take it to house church. Talk about it. Figure that one out. Let's go down to verse 26 here. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. We look at that, and how many of you grew up in church, especially in Baptist church, where you 
wanted to share your faith with somebody, and so you sat down with a napkin, and on the napkin you put, here's God, and you draw a mountain, and here's where you're at, and you draw a mountain, and the thing that separates God and you is this great, great chasm called sin. Raise your hand if, if you know where I'm going with this. I thought about putting this up here. And the only way you can get from God to you or get over to where God's at is, and then you draw a cross, right, between the two mountains. And God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that he would cover over all your sins. And then the little turtle man that I would draw could walk across the, the cross over to where Jesus is at. And as silly as that is, how true that is, like, hey, sin separates us from God, our own sin. And we needed Jesus to die on the cross, a perfect savior to die on the cross, to cover over all of our sins, because there's a great chasm between us. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is the thing that separates love and death and life. And whether you can draw the mountains and the cross well or not, like this is the truth right here. And as Christians, we get to hang on the love of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people again say, amen, this is so cool. We get down to verse 28. Verse 28, for I have five brothers. Um, he, well, he said, please send Lazarus to my family, verse 28. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they do not come to this place of torment. I don't want them in hell. Well, fun little fact here. A lot of deep theologians uh, say that he's talking about the five brothers. And one way that you can interpret this parable is that this means the five brothers kind of equate to the five books of the law, the Torah. And so this parable is, is somewhat symbolic between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. That's one way to kind of think about this parable. Um, the, the way that I think that God wants to take this parable this morning and the way that, that I'm so excited to share with us is in verse 30, you see this name Lazarus. And Lazarus, the name is God helps. It's short for Eleazar, Lazarus, God helps. That's what his name literally means. And so when you see Lazarus just in destitute, not able to eat any kind of food, dogs licking the wounds, and God's looking down, and his name itself is God Helps. Whew. Let's get to verse 30, and here's the power punch that I'm like, God, thank you for this. No, Father Abraham said to him, I'm not gonna send people to help. I'm not gonna do all this, though you're in torment. No, Father Abraham said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. And I don't know about you, but here's a man that is separated from the love of God. And he's begging God, God, please send people to my family and to my friends so that they don't end up here. Like, please do this, God. And God's like, listen, 
No, I've sent them everything that they need. The Holy Spirit's dancing on the earth. People are telling about the love of God. You could see it even in the natural selection of the world. Like the world is begging and pointing to who Jesus is and who God is. And if they don't get that, they're not going to get it. Even if someone from the dead shows up. And I, can, I, I love this part because as a pastor, it took me a while to get this as a pastor. You know, good looking, smart, life is called to preach this, this gospel message. It took me a long time to get this because it's not about my ability, it is about my availability. I'm gonna say this again, it's not about my ability, it's about my availability. There is no magical word that I'm gonna speak from this stage using this scripture that's gonna just drive home the fact that you need Jesus in your life. There's no magical word that I'm gonna be able to say that'll cause you to go and change some of the things that you're doing and how you're living. Like, I'm just not powerful enough and I would make a terrible Holy Spirit. Like, I would smite you because I just have, like, I wake up grumpy one day and I would just shame you, right? There's nothing that I'm gonna be able to do to change your life. Listen, I've tried. I've tried sitting with people whose marriages are falling apart and I've tried loving on them and opening scripture and praying for them and hugging them only for divorce to happen. Like I've, I've tried and people have tried to change my life. It's not gonna work. And so let's take this down to us, the common people, people that call ourselves brothers and, and, and sisters and followers of Jesus Christ. Like it's not about our ability, it's about our availability. It's about showing up and saying, God, you know what? I don't know how to speak into that, but you do. And so I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna love them. And that's about all I got because the rest is up to you. Would you agree? The rest is up to God. If anyone is gonna change their life beyond us, it's because the Holy Spirit is moving and they want to be changed by God. This is so freeing to us because you know when you mess up and you let a, a cuss word come out of your mouth in front of that non-Christian, and then you're really concerned they're, they're not gonna become Christians because you ruined it? <laughs> breathe, man, breathe. You're not gonna mount up to God. I mean, we try to look more like him every day. We try to love like him more every day. But I wanna speak this over you right now. If you're carrying the guilt and the weight of the salvation of the world, breathe and let it go. Only God can do that. And so here's this man in Hades going, God, send people. And God's like, I've, son, I've done everything that I can do. It's up to them whether they're going to accept my love or not. Let's pray for our friends. Let's pray for you. Are you praying for me, by the way? Raise your hand if you are. No, I won't say that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I need your prayer, son. Okay. Put, everyone put a reminder in your phone. Pray for Aaron. He needs it, right? Are we praying for us? Are we praying for each other? Like everything that God has given us, man, it's about us showing up and using what God's given us, which is the point of this entire parable. This entire parable is show and tell your story. 
The point of this parable, if you, are dry, if you read a commentary, Dwight Pentecost, he says this about this parable. If wealth is used selfishly, it will perish. But if it is used as a means of showing mercy, it can gain eternal reward. This parable is about the fact that he showed no mercy. He demonstrated that he was not righteous. And the question that that this parable brings up is this, is where is your wealth and how are you using it to love God and love others? Where is your wealth and how are you using it to love God and to love others? Listen, this man in royalty had everything and he's not using his wealth to show the love of God to others. And this goes beyond monetary wealth. How many of you have a talent and an ability? How many of you are breathing breath right now? You are wealthy. God has purpose for your life to love him and to love others. Don't squander it. Like live your life in love with God and loving others. I wanna say this about us. Don't hide your wealth wealth under a bushel. No, (laughs) no, don't hide it under a bushel. (laughs) Dang, if we all walked in who God created us to be today, it would be an amazing world. Don't hide your life, your wealth, all your abilities under a bushel. No, don't do it. Also, don't apologize for your wealth. Some of us feel like, hey, we've got this super talent, but we don't wanna look prideful, so we kinda play small. Don't play small. Man, go lead your organizations. Go innovate. Go create. Go do whatever you can. Don't play small and don't apologize. No, we are wealthy for a reason. We have a breath for a reason, right? Let's walk in that. I'm a better me when I walk in who God created me to be. Don't apologize for it. Be who God's created you to be. Because there's probably people that need some of our wealth and we can come beside along them and love them and show them what it is to live life full of God. But that only happens if we ourselves are locking eyes with Jesus and we know who he is and we know who we are and we can use our immense amount of wealth to love God and love others. Isn't this a sick, wait, good? Isn't this a good parable? This is an incredible, incredible parable. I wanna ask us two questions and then we're done. Would we all agree that relationships are super important? You don't have to raise your hand, but would you agree that relationships are super important? I would. And would you, would we all agree that at the core of who we are, we just wanna be accepted and we want to belong? So look around. Here's relationships. Here's people that are running after God. And though we're gonna let you down, we're also gonna accept you. I would encourage every single one of us to get into a house church on purpose and to get in relationships and not even squander the wealth of relationships that we have. Like, man, we've got one life. Let's live this out together, loving God and loving others. Isn't this good? This was so good. All right, I'm gonna pray for us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this parable. I pray that it impacts us and changes us. Man, God, I'm just so happy that you brought your church together today.
It's no small deal that all of us are here. So I pray that we can encourage each other even in our time remaining this morning and that this message will find its way to our heart. Yeah, in your name we pray. Amen.